The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Everyone puts their hope in something, and it's interesting the things that people will choose to put their hope in. If you just watch, you look around at your friends or your parents' friends, and you'll see that people will put their hope in politics, a political figure or party. They might put their hope in the economy, financial you know, security. They may put their hope in relationships. If I could date this person or be with that other person here, I would be happy and fulfilled. People put their hope in success, maybe in academics or in athletics. People put their hope in a lot of things. And what hope is, is it's when I'm, when I'm relying on something to provide me with stability and security and confidence, even when the future is a little bit shaky. So, so everyone desires hope. Everyone desires hope. For the Christian, Peter is going to tell us in our text this morning that the hope that we have is alive. It's alive. Um, hope in an economy is not a living hope because economies rise and fall. And you guys are at an age where you probably don't think about that a whole lot. But this is something that people my age, people that are in adulthood, they tend to, to hope in the economy to provide for them or a political party or something like that. But you do see, if you think about it, some of you may deal with this, and if not, you look around and you see your friends dealing with this. Young people will put their hope in social status, what others think about you, if I can get enough people to like me, if I can get enough people to approve of me, if I can, get, if I can be successful enough on the court or the field or in the classroom. But that, all of that stuff is fading. It's fading. So, um, for instance, and I, I, I never like to talk about, like, my, the olden days in my life. Like, I just don't – I just like to focus on what God's doing. But I had a successful athletic career. Well, guess what? I, I got bum knees and a bad back now. Like, there's no hope in that. You know what I mean? Like, but I remember that was a big deal to me. Now, it was fun and it was enjoyable, but it didn't last. So, it provided me certain pleasure and joy and excitement and drive and passion and motivation. But it doesn't live on. Like, you outgrow that. Um, if you put your hope in friends and social status, that's going to go away too. So, Peter's going to talk to us about a living hope. And if we put our hope in the wrong things, kind of like you could be drowning in the ocean and you could, you could need to be rescued and someone could throw you a life preserver that would float and that you could grab a hold of and it would keep you afloat until the boat could come rescue you. You put your hope in that life preserver, but you got to kind of hang on to it, right? Okay. The hope that Jesus gives us is not like that. Okay. It's not like that. Also, you could be in the water and you could cry out for um, someone to throw you a big heavy rock and you could believe in your mind, if I could just get my arms around this 100 pound rock, then I would be safe. Well, how crazy is that? That's crazy, isn't it? Because it would just sink you. You could hope in something and believe with all your heart that it's what you need and that very thing could ultimately destroy you. You see what I'm saying? You could hope and then end up being destroyed. So the hope that we have in Christ is a living hope. It would be like if you're drowning in that ocean and he dives in, scoops you up, and carries you back to the safety of the boat. That's the hope that we have through the resurrection. Now, 
I want to jump back into where we started last night, um, and we're going to read five verses. We're going to work through five verses this morning over the next 20 minutes. Okay, and so uh, he, we, we got introduced to Peter last night. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But listen to this, uh, this greeting that he's going to give us. It's a long greeting. We don't greet each other like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience of Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's a long greeting, isn't it? There, um, uh, I don't know how you greet people. Like we, we have different types of greetings in our society, our culture, different types of handshakes. Like, like if I'm shaking hands with a grown man, maybe another pastor, or I'm, on, or I'm, I'm sitting down to a business lunch or something like that, do the, the good firm man handshake. Fellas, you know what I'm talking about? Y'all need to do that handshake in the right context. You need to know how to do that handshake. Now, if I'm, if I'm shaking hands with like my son's teammates, bring it up here, right? Right? Slap it. Bring it in. Right? Little, little man bump and a little boom, boom on the back of the shoulder. You know what I'm saying? Y'all with me? That's, that's that. Or just a simple dap it up. Boom, boom. Whoop. There we go. We're good. Like different types of greetings. People will say, people will say different things. What's up? What's good? How's it going? Good morning. Like, you know, it could be more formal. How are you today? Like people greet. That's a, and greeting is a normal thing in every society in the world for the most part. I was talking to my daughter yesterday. She lives uh, on the border between Uganda and South Sudan. Uh, she and her husband are missionaries there. And she, we're, we're uh, on FaceTime and she's walking. She's walking um, outside of her, uh, the, the little house where she lives. And she's just kind of walking around the yard talking to me. And someone comes by and she greets them in the Lugbara tongue, which I don't understand. It's like clicking and clucking and I don't understand the words, but it was a morning greeting. And, I was, and it was actually for me late the night before last, but for her it was yesterday morning. It was a greeting. Every society, every culture has a greeting. Like uh, what do they say in Australia? Got I, right? They say that. Um, I got my favorite all-time greeting. Um, uh, name this. Okay, I'm going to say the first part of this from a movie. I'm going to say the first half. I want to see how many of you can finish it. This is an old movie, but I think a lot of you are going to know it. And then, okay, and then, so, so I'm going I'm to say the first part. You say the last part, and let's see if we can name the movie. All right? My name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die, right? That's from the Princess Bride. That's my favorite all-time greeting, okay? Um, and so when we think of greetings, greetings are cultural. But in the Bible, the New Testament writers, they would write these letters. So like <clears throat> if you're reading the Bible and you get to uh, the New Testament, it's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, okay? After you get done with Acts, which is the fifth book of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, those are letters, so when you're reading it, you're reading a letter that somebody wrote. And typically, these cats would open their letter up with the greeting. They would start with the greeting. And so that's what Peter's doing. But his greeting is so loaded with good, good truth. Okay, I want to I read, um, just give you some thoughts in these first two verses of some of the promises or the truths that are laid out for us in this greeting. First, um, he tells us that God had a plan for us long before we even existed. That's pretty cool. That before you existed, God had a plan for you. That in the, even in the Old Testament, there was a great prophet who wrote these words, before you were formed 
in your mother's womb, God knew you. That's very reassuring because you go through hard times and difficult things and tough struggles and, and, and we can know that God had a plan for us. For Peter, based on where we ended last night, and he received the mercy of the Lord in that moment of denial when he looked in the eyes of Jesus, he was overwhelmed with grief. We know from the rest of Peter's story that after that happened, Peter struggled for days and weeks, man. He really struggled. He went back to fishing. He kind of just went into this deep place of depression. Maybe you've been in a place like that. Maybe because of something you've done or life choices you've made. Maybe you've dealt with some depression or anxiety or maybe because of something that's been done to you. But for Peter, because of what he had done and his denial of the Lord, man, he went to a dark place. I felt that before where you know that as a child of God, God has a purpose and a calling for your life, and you don't hit that, and you make choices that take you away from fellowship with the Lord. And you feel the weight of that. Peter felt that. He knew what that was like. So he's like, man, I'm so thankful that even in my failures and mistakes, God had a purpose and a plan before even I was born into this world. Paul writes something similar. Uh, to the Romans in Romans 8 29 he says for those whom he foreknew okay so in our text in verse 2 of 1 Peter 1 it says according to the foreknowledge of God so God knows everything right God's working even when we don't know he's working and even before we know he's working and sometimes when we're not paying attention he's still working and moving and doing things those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's saying God's plan for us that he had before we were born was that we would grow more and more and more into the image of Jesus. That's the plan God has for us. And he tells us how he goes about it, Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Justified is when God declares that you are righteous. God says, remember last night we said that if, if someone says to you, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, tell me about it. Well, I, nope. Well, Jesus declared that I'm righteous. Amen? Isn't that good? Uh, Paul writes it this way to the Corinthians. That for our sake, God made him who knew no sin, who was not sinful, had never sinned, that's Jesus, become sin for us so that in Jesus we would receive and become the righteousness of God. We become righteous because Jesus declares us as righteous. We talked last night about substitution where Jesus substitutes. He, he comes into our, our, our sin. He is the substitute for our sin and he dies in our place and then he gives us his righteousness. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And so God's plan is that in justifying us then, he would also glorify us, Paul says in Romans 8, 30. So God's plan in saving us is a plan that he had before time. He put it in place by preparing to go to the cross and die in our place and then to give us righteousness. What's so wonderful about this is that when you mess up, when you make a mistake as a believer, when you feel the weight of your own sin, you can press into this great reality that Jesus is bigger than that moment and he has a redeeming work that he's doing in you, which means when something's being redeemed, it means it's bringing value. You ever go to, um, we have a place here called Downtown Pizza Company and, uh, and it's, a local, it's a local dive. It's pretty good. They got dessert pizza. Y'all ever eat dessert pizza at those pizza buffets? Dessert pizza is good, man. It's legit. They got like apple, cherry, cookie dough, that's where I'm at. That's where it's at. I'm hanging with cookie dough. Like, like I, got, I, I got the worst stink eye. Last time we went, uh, we were at a kid's birthday party, and I went up there, and I asked my man behind the counter, hey, you going to put one of them cookie dough dessert pizzas out? He's like, yeah, man, it's coming up. 
I just stood there. Like 11 minutes. I was watching. And he slid it out there and I went, thank you. And carried that sucker to my plate, to my table and shared it with my friends. People were behind me like, what are you doing? It's a buffet. You can wait. I wait 11 minutes, you know. <laughs> They'll bring some more of that good stuff out, you know. But at those pizza places, I think one of they got like some chain ones, like CeCe's I think is one. But this one here, they have a, a game room in the back. Y'all been to these game rooms where you win tickets? You ever done that? You win a little tickets. And like they got some of these games that you can hit a jackpot and get like a thousand tickets. And then so I always play the basketball game. They got a little hoop and you're just shooting. And if you, if you get to a certain score, it spits you out some tickets. They got the ski ball. Is that what it's called? We throw the ball into the little, like the, y'all know what I'm talking about? You play that? Okay. Um, at the end of your, uh, at the end of your time, you take whatever tickets you won and you go to the counter and you trade them for the highest quality toys that have ever been made. <laughs> like goofy little squirt gun rings and uh, disappearing ink and stuff like that, right? And so what you're doing is you're redeeming, you're taking that ticket and you're Given that ticket, you're redeeming that ticket for something of value. You're, give, you're assigning value. You're exchange. So when we talk about as Christians that God is redeeming us, first he redeems us by saving us. Okay? But then he redeems everything in our lives by giving it value and purpose and making it fit into his plan. And what did we just see was his plan in Romans 8? To conform us to the image of Jesus. So your mistakes, bad relationships, bad attitudes, momentary failure, lapse of judgment, open rebellion and broken fellowship. When we come to the Lord the way Peter would come to the Lord in repentance and surrender, the Lord will give value to those things. So that even, I was talking to a friend of mine named Shane. So some of you guys know because he's your youth pastor. Last night, we're talking about like a past life of drugs and drug abuse and dealing drugs. And it's like, yeah, but God assigns value to that. That's the beauty of a testimony, right? I remember, I remember when I was a new Christian, I thought, man, I got kind of a boring testimony. I never like shot up any heroin or meth. I never stole stuff and like never like, like uh, never like, Went to prison, like, I, and I thought, and I had buddies that had these crazy testimonies. One of them had been like in prison and got shanked with a like spoon that had been carved down, you know, and like he had crazy testimony. I'm like, that's legit, man. He's like, yeah, God saved me. I was like, bro, praise the Lord. I just went to church my whole life, you know. I wasn't upward. <laughs> I got nothing, man. It was like boring. No, no matter what your story is, if you grew up in church or you come from a crazy background, Jesus redeems you out of a broken world and your own sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. Your story is, is God's story in you and through you and for you. Jesus is redeeming everything for us, man. And Peter gets that. Peter was like a good dude, a moral guy. So he says in verse 2, like God had a plan even before you existed to save us and redeem us. He also says God is a good father. He says that his plan is that we become more like Jesus. He says that obedience to Jesus is how we get there on that journey of redemption and, and conformity to Christ. The Bible, by the way, uses the word sanctification. You've probably heard that word, some of you. It's that process of being conformed on this path to becoming more like Jesus. Obedience to Jesus is how we get there. 
He says also in verse 2 that Jesus' blood covers my sin. And then he says, grace and peace. Now, that's a good greeting. That's a dense, heavy, awesome greeting. It's wonderful. So move on to verse 3. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is one of those letters that every verse is just like, boom, so full of good, good, practical um, stuff for the believer. So when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he's doing is he's praising the Lord. We think of praise and worship as something we do when we sing, but it's also something we can do when we speak, when we listen, when we sit in solitude and silence. We can praise the Lord in so many different ways. When we work. When we, when we do what God's gifted us to do, we can bring him glory. And so praising the Lord, I would give you this one nugget about praising the Lord. If you live a life of praise and worship to the Lord for his glory, here's what that will produce in you. Joy. Joy. People who live lives of praise keep their focus on Jesus, and keeping your focus on Jesus will produce in you joy. It'll be joyful. I want you to think about it, man. How many people in your life are not joyful? They're like momentarily happy in a moment maybe, but then true, lasting, abiding joy, that's what he's talking about. It says this happens through the resurrection of, of Jesus. And through the resurrection of Jesus, we're able to praise God because God has given us what he calls a new birth. A new birth. It's like this visual image of you're born once into the world as a human, and then you're given a new birth where you have this new identity that's given to you. Like you're a new creation in Christ when you become a Christian. And for us, the cycle of life and death is one that can be uncomfortable. If you grow up in a rural context, especially if you have, um, if you have like uh, any kind of animals, uh, people that grow up on a farm, um, if you hunt, fish, things like that, you have a different, I think, a different experience with life and death. I know like in my household, we eat a lot of the meat that we eat. We either raise it or we take it through other means like we go hunting. And so, so there's a different understanding. But for some people, that's like life and death is hard to wrap our brain around. Um, my little guy, I don't know if y'all see my little man running around, Moses. Uh, Moses is the kid running around with uh, blue hair. And, and he's, uh, this morning he's running around down here. He's my youngest kid and adopted Moses a few years ago. And we got these, we got this duck, um, and he's, and, and we got two ducks. And you know, ducks will be like boyfriend and girlfriend. They'll like get married to each other and just stay together, like solid relationship, you know? Like we're committed, you know? As long as there ain't no other girl ducks around, at least that's what, I, that's what I'm seeing happen, you know? And so our, our little duck couple, we've had them a couple years now. I don't even remember where they showed up, but there, there they are in our little pond, and they just hanging out, you know? And uh, you older kids, just so you know, like, that's how my kids learn about stuff like the birds and the bees, you know what I'm saying? Like, like farm animal life is, it makes, life, it makes parenting a little bit easier, you know, like, oh, what are them ducks doing? Uh, they're wrestling in the pond. Yep, nope, let's have a talk, you know, like, let's sit down. So, so like, life, life and death and, you know, procreation and all that stuff, you learn it, you got like this working model in front of you. And so, this duck... He, he's very protective of his girlfriend. So when Mo gets off the school bus, the duck bows up on Mo. Well, I had to have a talk with Mo. Like, don't be scared of the duck. Duck ain't got no teeth, man. I mean, he might, but like nobody ever heard, was like, bro, did you hear about that guy on uh, Outdoor Life? 
he got attacked by a duck. That sucker bit his juggler vein out, you know, like, not like peck your Achilles, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're good with the duck, right? And so once he figured that out, he would scoop the duck up, and then he scares all his friends with it. He's like, hey, run in there, all scared of the duck. But then the neighbor, the neighbor got some uh, chickens, and the neighbor don't take care of his chickens, so they just stay in my yard and my friend Hank's yard all the time. Just all, all, and, and they're all roosters. Which means they're boy chickens, right? And they're aggressive. And they're banny roosters, which are the little bitty ones. And they all strut around like this. And they all, every one of them thinks he's the boss man. Well, they started like, they started bullying my man Mo when he got off the school bus. And this one rooster, he had it out for Mo. He's like, eyeball him, Mo. I'm going to flog you. I'm going to hit you with these spurs. Because they got little spurs that stick out right there. Mo, get off the school bus. Go around the pond, up through the woods, way around the barn, and come up to the house that way. Like, walk way around. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, that rooster. He's out to get me, man. I'm like, bro, you weigh like like 65 pounds. That rooster weighs like two pounds. You got this. So one day, I hope hope everyone's comfortable with where this story is getting ready to go. So one day... Mo, Mo says to me, can I kill that rooster? I said, here's the deal. If you kill it, we're going to eat it. And, and, and that's, the, that's the rule, okay? We ain't, we ain't just killing mess to be killing mess. He's like, oh, no. daddy, I can't, I can't get it. I'm like, you just walk, just show the rooster who's boss, man. So one day he gets off the bus. He's going to show him who's boss. He's like, goes at that rooster. And the rooster, they do that thing where, like, make the neck feathers come out, try to look bigger. And Mo's, like, bowing up on him. And he's like, ooh, and he, and he took off and he goes this way. So my buddy Hank, I talked about Hank last night. Hank lives across the road from me. And back last summer, one morning, Mo shows up. Hank looks out the window. He's making his morning coffee. Sun just come up. I was in bed. It was a Saturday morning. I was dead to the world. And Hank looks out on the porch. And here comes Mo up the driveway. Cowboy boots, underpants, dead rooster slung over his shoulder, and a 22 rifle. <laughs> he come up to see if Hank's boys wanted to go rooster hunting. <laughs> so Hank made him, they, they, they cleaned that rooster, took all the meat, fried him up. We ate some and took some to the rooster's owner. <laughs> hey, man, we're bringing your rooster to you. <laughs> you know? like, like, but there's this thing, like, the other thing is we have, like, uh, we just had, one of our neighbors just had four baby uh, lambs born. And so you get to see that new life come into the world. Like it's just something about the circle of life and, and, and like it's getting ready to be springtime here in the mountains and stuff's going to come alive. And for the Christian, when we talk of new life, it's this idea that you were dead in sin, the Bible says. And when Christ gives you that righteousness, you're made alive. He gives you new birth. You come into this new existence where your mind is changed and your personality is changed. And I'm going to tell you, the person I was before I met Jesus way different than the person I was when I started following Jesus. You're not perfect, but you're grinding it out with hope and confidence that's living. The resurrection of Jesus then gives us a living hope. Lamentations 3, 22 and 24 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. See, 
The hope is not just living, but every day it's brand new. Every day it's brand new. Imagine something that you love being brand new every single day. That's what our hope is through Christ. And it, and it comes in, in direct result of the mercy that he's given us. What did we say the mercy of God is last night? The goodness of the Lord to those who are in misery and distress. Psalm 19.2 says, day to day pours, forth spe- pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So every day God's speaking to us, loving us, showing himself to us, making us strong. We need Jesus daily and, 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 and we have him daily because he's come to us. The hope he gives us is living. It's ongoing. And this is important because you need Jesus every day if you're going to make the decisions that we need to make to honor him, love him, and experience joy and fulfillment. The last two verses, verse 4 and 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The love that God has for us is so powerful, it's so unbreakable, but sometimes we don't return that kind of love. Listen to what Romans 8, 37 to 39 say. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. And all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will take you from the love of God once you're in Christ. That's incredible love. Let me give you two things to think about as examples. One is if you've ever had someone really abandon you who you thought loved you, then you know the sting of that. Someone who confessed professed expressed love in you and then they abandoned you you feel the weight of that but then if you've ever had someone love you no matter what but that's powerful isn't it that's so powerful tell you one more little story about my little man he has he has man he's he's like he, he he's he's wrestling with who he is you know like you're my daddy but he's trying to figure that out because we adopted our two youngest ones. They, were, they weren't infants. And he's working this thing out, and he's in his room one day because he had been sent to his room for, for discipline. I don't know what he had done. I don't remember what he had done. I think he had maybe, maybe said something ugly to my wife, his mom, who's the girl that plays drums little. And so I go in to talk to him, and he's really worked up emotionally. He's a very emotional person. Some of you can relate to that. I'm very emotional. I'm a super emotional person. And he's super emotional. And I go in and I sit down there. I'm like, what's up, man? And he said, get out of my room. You ain't even my daddy. Okay. In that moment, in that moment, I have to understand that the depth of his hatred is very shallow. It's visceral. It's emotional. It's reactionary. Because I know that deep down in him, he loves me. He loves me. So I got to get above that. That's on, that's on me, not on him. He's eight at the time, right? He just turned nine, but he's eight. This was a few months ago. I got to come up. I got to get above that. Okay, Paul's right there. Jesus and Peter in that moment we went to last night where they make eye contact when Jesus says, I don't even, I don't know him. What did he do? He swore. He cursed. I don't want to be disrespectful standing here in front of you this morning, but I don't know what that looked like, but it was vulgar and foul and obscene. He swore against Jesus. How'd Jesus feel right then? I'll tell you how he felt. In that moment, Jesus was on his way to the cross where he would pay 
redemption and redeem Peter's denial. In the moment that Peter is sinning against Jesus, the value of the love that Jesus has for, you, for him is amplified because Jesus shows him mercy. And he saves him anyway. I sit there on the edge of that bed. And I said, no, man, you know what? I am your daddy. I'm your daddy. I know what it took to become your daddy. It took everything I have to become your daddy. It cost me more than you'll ever understand or realize to make this relationship a reality. One day, you might understand a little bit more of that. But right now, you just need to know I love you even when you say stuff like that. And by the time that was over, it was so awesome. My man was sitting in my lap. He's hugging me. He got very emotional the other way. He was like drooling, snotting on my shoulder. Oh, I really do love you, man. You're the best daddy ever. I'm like, hey, man, look, do we have to go to such extremes, you know? Like, but that's how we are with God, right? You're like, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm an idiot. Why do you bother saving me? Like, just, we just need to chill out sometimes and realize, like, Jesus loves you and all your junk but he refuses to let you live and wallow in that junk. Like he's called us out of that, you know? Peter gets that. He understands that. Like what he's saying, and we could, man, we could spend the rest of our time this weekend unpacking the, the, the way he describes this inheritance, this salvation. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's, uh, he uses the word unfading or, and kept in heaven. What is, what is kept in heaven? Kept means it's protected. He protects the salvation that he gives us. Peter understood that this is how Jesus loves us because of the way Jesus forgave and cared for Peter after that denial. Peter showed anything but love to Jesus on the night Jesus was beaten and mocked and ultimately crucified. Peter abandoned Jesus when Jesus needed a friend so badly. Jesus was alone and hurting and ridiculed and mocked and his back and shoulders and head and face and legs and joints and chest and ribs were all met with crashing and ripping blow after blow after blow from whips and clubs and fists. People spat in his face, pulled his hair, gouged his eyes through forearms and elbows and kicked him. They made jokes about him. They screamed in his face. His head throbbed. He felt the physical pain and emotional pain that we can never imagine. But the hardest part of all of it may have been how alone Jesus felt. Peter had lied to him and then denied him. He told Jesus he would be with him all the way to the end. And he not only abandoned him, but he essentially joined in the mocking by disassociating with Jesus and trying to win the approval of the crowd. But Peter felt the ocean waves of forgiveness and mercy and kindness and gentleness and grace that come from the heart of Jesus to pour over him and not only forgive him, but to restore him to his position as a friend and a brother and a true and adopted son of God. As Peter is writing these words about the great mercy of the Lord, he understands that that mercy and the salvation that it brings is being guarded by a love that is greater than all of our weaknesses and shortcomings. You know what God wants you to do and what me to do is to press into this reality and live with hope and security and confidence and know that it'll take time for the relationship to grow you into the strength and confidence that God has for you. God loves you, man, and his mercy is new every day, and it's real. And, and you and I have this incredible opportunity to live as adopted sons and daughters through the work that Jesus has done, to be born again through this new birth by power of the resurrection of Jesus, 
Another way that this is described in Romans 6 is that we're literally buried with Christ in resurrection and we're um, in death and we're raised with him in his resurrection. So it's this picture of new birth, of resurrection, and we got to know who we are and know that even in our mistakes and shortcomings, God is bigger than that. Jesus is bigger than that. But also know this, there are certain things that he expects and demands out of us. And as believers, he calls us to obedience. And Peter even said, through this obedience, we realize this process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.